Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Listen, a crazy huge week for news. We have a couple of stories. We're going to talk about, uh, apparently, according to Bloomberg Wall Street, betting that the Microsoft Activision deal will fail. We're also going to quickly talk about Halo Infinite's issues with their upcoming uh, second season happening uh, tomorrow, I think it is, that uh, the season begins. And we're going to end it with a little bit of uh, bad PlayStation news, or or good, I guess, depending on the way you want to look at it. But first, we're going to give a quick update about Sonic Origins. So uh, it, it seems that Sega was obviously listening to the Keb Koji podcast, as they do every week. When I was talking about Sonic Origins, uh, and talking about just how weird this whole thing was, the way they rolled it out, um, just kind of top to bottom, a really weird way to re-release a Sonic game, especially in their monetization efforts. And uh, they apparently then decided to make the announcement even worse because last week Sega announced that they will be delisting the digital versions of the standalone titles that will be featured in Sonic Origins. So this is similar or pretty much exactly the same thing that Rockstar did. And we remember how well that went for them, which was when they were about to release the Grand Theft Auto Definitive Edition, that that, uh, trilogy, which was horrible, 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 just a really uh, poor job that they did with that. They went ahead and delisted the original Grand Theft Auto 3, Vice City, and San Andreas, I believe from all storefronts, not just it was PC, PlayStation, Xbox. Then they basically told fans, I'm sorry for the super shitty, unprepared version. They pretty much lied by saying that they had no idea that uh, the game had that many issues, which is a complete bullface lie. And I think for the PC version, if, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, for PC players, they allowed them to download the original three games free of charge. Um, and according to them, the game is now in a better state. I kind of tend to disagree myself, but it, it seems that Sega is doing the same exact thing where Sega is looking at it the same way that Rockstar did, which they're trying to spin it into this new story about, hey, these are going to be better versions. There's no need for us to keep the originals up. And, you know, obviously when I, I, a lot of fans are upset about this and I think they have every right to be upset about it. I think that it's, I don't think that it's the right way to go. (laughs) Um, in terms of video game preservation, I don't think it makes any sense to update a game in, in any way, shape, or form and then kind of retroactively decide to remove the original, especially since we now know that these games, when they are re-released, there are changes made. And I think I, I saw in a news article, someone can, had compared this to what happened with Star Wars, those original three films, and how every single time they re-released it, they changed something. And you had this core fan base that, you know, yearned and really wanted 
to um, have the original cut re-released. And I think at some point they eventually did it. But this is kind of what this is reminding me of. Now, everyone who listens to the podcast know that I like to play devil's advocate. And I think that one of the reasons why this is being done is on one hand, you can look at it as, okay, they're trying to drive sales into these newer versions. They don't, but I actually don't think that makes any sense because the thought process behind that would be, hey, we're releasing Sonic Origins and someone's going to see Sonic Origins on, let's say, the PlayStation Network store or they're going to search Sonic and instead of buying Sonic Origins, they're going to see the original Sonic 1, 2, 3 CD and say, oh, you know what? Those look cheaper. I'm going to go ahead and buy those. They're still two completely different experiences. I don't kind of see that scenario being very uh, typical. Um, I think this is more due to licensing. Someone had brought up the fact that uh, I believe it was Sonic 3 had a lot of licensing issues with the Michael Jackson estate, I think it was. That could be one of the reasons we noticed that when Rockstar re-released the trilogy, there were songs missing. So I think it kind of comes down to these companies foregoing, hey, instead of having to re-license these games again, maybe because when they were put onto these services, the licenses were a lot shorter. Uh, Instead of doing that, we'd rather put out a new version and not have to pay those licenses again. And now by removing the the, the old versions, we can forego that sort of going forward. But I still feel like even if that was the reason let's say Sega would come right out and say, hey, you know, this is the reason why we're doing that. Or Rockstar would say the same thing and say, look, there are a lot of issues with relicensing that um, that old music. I think that every single time there is a remake for a project, inside of that project should exist the original version. I think I think that's something that should happen at a bare minimum. And I think it's something that, shouldn't be super difficult or expensive for companies to implement. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see how it would have been that expensive for Rockstar to include the original three games when you bought the definitive edition, uh, especially because, you know, we're talking about future generations or, uh, you know, parents that are passing on these uh, games and onto their kids. And, you know, I'm sure as a parent, you would want to, you know, watch your kids playing Sonic Origins and, and talk to them about how it used to originally look or, you know, the small differences or the changes or the, the differences in the music or sound effects or what have you, and then be able to sort of fire up that uh, original version. And, you know, this is why we're 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 trending and we're moving towards more and more people being accepting of piracy and emulation, uh, especially when we're talking about emulating what can sort of be considered abandoned wear. You know, these companies just completely abandoned these projects. There is no realistic way at this point or, you know, realistic financially or even being able to find you know original sonic one cartridges and actual original sega genesis uh, or even like the sega genesis mini i believe is out of print 
you know, you are running into these moments where it kind of has become this necessity to to emulate and pirate these games. And it's like I tell people, like, you know, you can just Google it. Right right now, you can go to Google.com and just type in Play Sonic 1 and, you know, you'll, you'll get an online emulator right in your browser where you can play these original games. And I think it kind of is at that point where even if you're Sega, even if you're some of these companies outside of Nintendo, which will, you know, take all the time and money they need to shut these types of things down. Um, it's like, how can you even get angry at people wanting to do that when you yourself don't offer a legitimate solution um, to these problems? You know, if you're Sega, you should feel confident about this new version of Sonic Origins that given the choice, someone will choose to purchase the uh, newer emulated version. Or if you're having these issues, like I said, I, I don't really under even understand the reason. Like you, you think that someone's going to choose the new version <laughs> or choose the old version over the new version, then you might as well just include those old versions into the game. And, and maybe you could even make it part of Sonic Origins. They talked about how there's a museum, you have to use coins, then, you know, make it redeemable. Like, you know, when you when you collect 100 coins, you can unlock the original Sonic 1. And maybe in the re-release of Sonic 3, you do have to replace all of that old music with the newer music. And But, you know, maybe that's something that you put forth as a disclaimer, saying that you were not able to, you know, the, the music is, is one thing that has changed with the rest of the game. Uh, remains untouched. I don't. I, I. I'm. I'm just. I find it so baffling to watch these companies uh, sort of forego and work so hard to like erase their own legacy. It's just so weird to me. You know, especially with a company like like Sega. Those those Sonic films aren't these massive successes. Uh, just because they're they're marketed to children, which they aren't exclusively marketed to children, I think a lot of it is also parents who grew up with the Sonic games and you know want to take their kids to go watch it. You know that legacy remains, and these companies just need to stop shooting themselves in the foot, almost in a sense of wanting to erase their own legacy. So our next story deals with this really weird article. So last week, Bloomberg published this article that honestly to me felt like clickbait, you know, because it was modeled around the fact that Activision Blizzard stock is trading at a similar price to when the Activision Blizzard (laughs) merger was first announced, which is somewhere around $76. But because of that, Bloomberg posted this story and they titled it, Wall Street is betting that Microsoft Activision deal will fail. And, you know, the moment I saw that article and I read that um, that header, that title, I said to myself, well, th- this kind of doesn't make any sense. And I read the article and there really isn't anything in the article that is this sort of concrete evidence that Wall Street, just just remember, Wall Street, that's a pretty broad statement to say, you know, Wall Street. You're not talking about uh, a specific company that's betting against uh, Activision Blizzard or or maybe you're, you're, you're speaking about a particular company that, uh, you know, or a hedge fund that's shorting the stock, for example. They put out this title that Wall Street is betting 
that Microsoft Activision deal will fail, but pretty much the bulk of their argument is it's just because the stock is at a similar price. So Microsoft's deal was to buy the stock. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I believe it's at $95 a share. So Bloomberg is saying that since it's trading at $76, then that's an indicator that Wall Street believes that the deal will not go through. Now, last week, 98% of stockholders for Activision Blizzard approved the sale. Uh, that doesn't mean that's all of a sudden uh, going to happen. Once again, it still has to go through uh, FTC. And uh, there, there's one contributor that I have brought up in the past here on Cam Koji was Hoag Law, which is, you know, an actual lawyer that actually specializes in mergers and acquisitions. He actually immediately refuted this statement. And it was kind of funny because then just a few days after the article was released, the article's co-writer, Jason Schreier, tweeted about Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway increasing their Activision Blizzard position from 1.8% to 9.5%, pretty much almost immediately refuting this claim that Bloomberg is making that Wall Street is somehow betting against the Microsoft Activision deal. I've brought this up on the show before. It's not a deal that I believe will fall through. I am pretty confident that this will go through. I don't think that there is any issue at this point in terms of this being some sort of monopoly. You know, it would, it would be very different if Microsoft announced they were buying the Sony's PlayStation division or, or, or they were buying Nintendo, for example. That's something that absolutely um, would have a tough time going through. And even though at this moment, there are these conversations with the Federal Trade Commission in terms of reviewing this merger, I really don't think it's going to fail. Uh, I don't think that's something that's going to, 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 to happen. And, you know, this actual lawyer says, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Hogue Law also believes that there's no reason why something like this uh, were to fail. And then the other thing that I also found kind of interesting about that title about Wall Street is betting that Microsoft's Activision deal will fail is that there is still about a year until this deal is expected to close. Microsoft announced that the deal is expected to close by June 2023. There's still a lot of time until something like that is going to happen pretty much almost exactly a year from now uh, is, is when Microsoft expects this deal to actually close and the merger to be completed. This is a much, much bigger company than uh, their acquisition of ZeniMax Media. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're talking about probably around 2,000 employees compared to about 10,000 um, that Activision Blizzard has along with a lot of uh, international offices and things like that. So that kind of sounds about right. There's going to be almost about a year. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of just want to bring this up because um, you know, it, it's a problem, not just I've noticed in games media, but just sort of media in general. It's, it's like, you know, these hyperboles and super exaggerated titles that are put out there on on tweets and on Twitter and 
just for the express purpose of getting people to click and, and, and read on an article, even though in the article there's absolutely no proof <laughs> or nothing to back up this claim that Wall Street is betting that Microsoft Activision deal will fail. So um, for anyone that was able to catch that article, I, I will say it's it, it sounding like uh, fake news since they really don't have much uh, to back that up. Now, I wanted to quickly touch on Halo Infinite. So Halo Infinite had a new roadmap announcement last week that confirmed that this new season will last six months. Now, when Halo Infinite was first announced in terms of them talking about multiplayer, they had spoken about how seasons were going to last three months. So every three months, there'll be a brand new season, a brand new theme, brand new items. And so far, the last two seasons, which this new one, uh, once again, I believe is launching tomorrow, this season along with the first season uh, of Halo Infinite are both lasting six months. And they also, along with that, announced that some features have been delayed. I think the online co-op is now delayed to August. I think Forge is going into a beta period at first before they fully announce it. I think they also said that split screen co-op is something that is to be determined. They actually have not put a concrete date on any of it. And, uh, you know, fans were disappointed, but what, what really sucked was that fans were disappointed even after this particular announcement. 343 Industries creative lead Joseph Statton confirmed that the reason for the delay is to avoid crunch quote a priority zero of team health and getting ourselves into a sustainable development rhythm so that we can deliver great experiences to all of you while maintaining a healthy work-life balance we know we need to deliver more content and more features more quickly staying true to priority zero means that sometimes we need to slow down in order to stay healthy and move faster later but we're also aggressively looking at ways to accelerate and one of those ways is one that we're kind of already aware of which was them uh partnering with that other company i can't remember the name of the company the one that is rumored to be working on a halo battle royale right now i'm looking through my my notes to see uh if i could find the name of that company so that is something that we're already understand that it's something that they're working on in terms of looking into other companies to take on a bulk of that work for what we're a uh, certain affinity certain affinity which is a studio um, based in texas that would definitely fall under the umbrella of but we're also aggressively looking at ways to accelerate. Now, this is something that I was reading through the subreddit where the roadmap was announced, and I believe that quote was put on there. People were still uh, upset and unhappy. And, you know, I've brought this up before on the show, but it's just crazy how, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I tend to look back and say, man, how did we get here? Like, how did we get here as an industry where multiplayer games are now being um, held to this, but what's next sort of standard where games or multiplayer games are no longer allowed to just be 
solid games. Like it's it's no longer about um the way multiplayer games used to be released. And I understand pay this I mean uh, excuse me, cost discrepancy we used to pay for multiplayer experiences compared to right now where experiences such as Halo Infinite are um free to play. But sometimes I feel like what shouldn't that make you feel um what do you say more patient for content that's coming out knowing that when it came to Halo Infinite you paid actually you know 100% $0 <laughs> like the, you know it's not like this is a, a part of Game Pass where you need a Game Pass subscription when it comes to playing Halo Infinite you don't even need Xbox Live Gold the game is truly 100% free of charge and you know, it's just funny looking at this game and thinking back to my personal favorite Halo, Halo 2, which I put so much time into that multiplayer. And it, it's just crazy to see how multiplayer is received now versus the way that it used to be, where for us it was, is the game fun to play? Yes, okay, cool, I'm going to play this for years now, where now that core game is almost taken up a backseat to new content. And I've brought this up on the show before, which is, I kind of call it the Fortnite problem because I think it is a problem that Fortnite created because Epic Games had, has access to such a crazy amount of money, time and resources where they keep their teams consistently in this state of turnaround of constantly, constantly, constantly adding new things into the game where it sort of feels like it's become this multiplayer standard now. And now gamers are taking that mentality over into all these other games, Apex Legends, Call of Duty, uh, Halo Infinite. And I kind of have brought this up before where it's sort of gotten to this point where I feel like multiplayer releases have only two options uh, in this moment either a you delay your game by a year in order to have a year of post content sort of baked in where there's there's no fear of a delay because the content is already built and ready you just kind of have chosen not to release it yet in order to have that post launch drip of you know maps and cosmetics and unlockables and battle pass and blah 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 and all this other stuff or you release our game in beta. It's interesting because it's like if Halo Infinite multiplayer would have released and, and they would say, hey, we're still in beta, then it's possible that there wouldn't be this much anger uh, to what's happening with uh, with Halo. And, you know, on one hand, it started off as this problem with the monetization and people thinking that people claiming that uh, things were too expensive. There was too much of a grind. And I mean... Can you blame anyone when it comes to that when you have a battle pass that's set to a six-month time period? But it's also one of those things where, from the perspective of Microsoft, this had to have been something you should have been preparing for. It's kind of unfortunate in a sense that... um, it sucks that this has become the, the de facto um, 
way that consumers choose to consume multiplayer games nowadays is that it's like, oh, cool, this is really great. And, you know, the game isn't even, you know, a week old and fans around the world are already requesting uh, changes almost immediately. And um, it's it's almost also like a paradigm shift in the mentality, the mentality of a consumer where we have such an um, such immediate access to so many things right now. You know, if, if I wanted, in, you know, a, a pizza, I can, I can grab an app on my phone and have it here in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And even now we're groceries, like here in New York, there's all these grocery services where they'll deliver me a banana in 15 minutes. Like we've gotten to this point where everyone um, expects this immediacy where the moment that Halo came out, a bunch of people were like, well, where, where's the next map? Like, yes, I play all these maps. I'm bored already. Let's go. And I, I even see the same thing happening with the Overwatch 2 beta where people have played the Overwatch 2 beta for like 10 hours in a row. Like, okay, cool. Well, are you, you going to add another hero to the beta or is there going to be another map? And I'm like, Jesus, man, this thing, this thing hasn't even been out for 48 hours. You know, it's, um, it's one of those things where I think I'm, I'm, I call it unfortunate because I came from the era where these things weren't even possible. You know, the game that shipped on a disc was the game you got. There weren't even any online updates. There was nothing. There were no balance changes. There was nothing else that could be done. And now we're in this era where multiplayer games are pretty much set up to fail if they don't constantly and consistently continue changing things and adding things um, and morphing the game as time goes on, we've we're well past the point of you know Halo Two or Halo Three or the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Like you know, we can all look back at Modern Warfare and say, "Wow, this is one of the best shooters of all time." But it was a static shooter, right? It was stuck in time. There weren't any new skins and maps and battle passes, anything like that. But we played the game because. It was just fun, and I feel like so much of that has been lost when it comes to Halo Infinite. And I'm, lo- I'm reading through all the comments. I'm like, man, it, it it doesn't even sound like you guys are having fun with this game anymore, and I've played it. I haven't been playing Halo multiplayer lately because, you know, I honestly haven't been playing much of anything, but uh, it's a fun game at its core. It's just a really, really fun game, and it's just so weird that um, the way that consumers choose to consume these games nowadays where it's like, what's next? What more uh, do you have for me? And, you know, to see it done in the face of this creative lead saying, you know, hey, we can get this to you, but we have to crunch. And to know that on the other side, there are consumers that are just like, yeah, that's cool. Just crunch. We do, you know, I, I need a new skin to unlock, you know, <laughs> like... Um, it's interesting because a lot of people that talk about crypto and blockchain always bring up the issue of, Hey, games are supposed to be just for fun. I shouldn't be playing games with this intended purpose of making money. But at the same time, there are so many people that seem to play these multiplayer games only with the expectation of getting rewarded and unlocking something. And, and it's like, if I'm putting my time in this game, you know, I should be getting a loot box every four matches or there, there should be, uh, you know, a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow 
uh, waiting for me after all this time I put in. So it, it, it shows that from the side of the consumer, this is what uh, they're um, asking for. And we've seen so many multiplayer games within the last you know few years that just completely tank nowadays because they can't hold the audience and we've reached this point now that this is so easy to jump from game to game it's so easy to lose an audience the moment that you're up against a team or a publisher that has way more money than than your team does now the, I, I brought this up on this podcast about how bad i feel for those split gate developers everyone had talked about split gate and they were raising through venture capital, like $200 million. I was like, man, I, I feel like this is going to fail. And uh, unfortunately it is like, no one is talking about Splitgate. And, you know, we just got an announcement for another Modern Warfare coming out this year, Modern Warfare 2. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to bring that up about how um, depressing. I do think it's kind of depressing that, uh, we've reached this point in multiplayer gaming that it's free to play, which is like super dope because now more and more people can play it. But I can't imagine the amount of pressure now that developers are under where you're putting so much time into a product and you put it out. And then with, you know, within hours, you know, not even 24, 48 hours pass by and people are like, okay, what's next? <laughs> you know, like that just, that must be an an absolutely awful feeling. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know what the solution is outside of Microsoft tossing more money at 343 Industries in order to accelerate a lot of their uh, their plans. But, um, you know, Halo is already at that point where a lot of players are already jumping ship. And if you're a small development team, I can't even imagine wanting to create a multiplayer game right now in this climate, unless you have something that's like a super duper unique hook, something like an, an Among Us that could kind of stand on its own. If you have a team right now that's saying, hey, let's make a multiplayer shooter, uh, I think I'll be the first one to say, nah, we, we probably uh, shouldn't do that. Now, for our final story, we're going to end it with talking about PlayStation. So there were two uh, pieces of news last week. Uh, that were trending about PlayStation, and both of them were pretty bad pieces of of news from a consumer. Actually, not from consumer. One of them was from, was bad from a consumer standpoint. I think the other one is bad from a developer standpoint. So last week, PlayStation users were understandably pissed at Sony, uh, which suddenly um, began to prevent PlayStation Plus subscribers from stacking future upgrades. Uh, you know, this wasn't some major announcement from PlayStation. They sort of just stopped letting people uh, stack upgrades for PlayStation Plus. And in lieu of an announcement, they just sort of sneakily updated their FAQ page when they added, quote, if you currently have a PS Plus or PS Now membership, due to changes we are making to the service prior to launch, you won't be able to redeem a voucher code for that service until your existing existing membership expires and deactivates or after the new PS Plus service launches in your area, whichever happens first. 
Then they also added, quote, the PS Plus or PS Now voucher you redeem will be converted to a length of time on your current PS Plus membership plan equivalent to the monetary value of the voucher you're redeeming. For example, a one-month PS Plus voucher will provide access to approximately three weeks of PS Plus Extra or approximately 2.5 weeks of PS Plus Premium. Uh, you know, anything that happens right now in our industry, uh, unfortunately, especially when it comes to PlayStation or Xbox, there always exists these two ways to look at the coin. You're either uh, defending the decision because you like Sony, or if you're criticizing it, you're usually uh, called um, an Xbox fanboy or something like that. And, uh, you know, on this show, I've always brought up in the past that I have absolutely zero allegiances to either of these companies. I think anyone that does is absolutely fucking weird in my in my mind. I don't think anyone should ever be so obsessed with any company on the face of this earth. I don't mean just PlayStation. I mean also like, you know, Apple fanboys and things like that. Um where there is no critical thought, you know, there there is no criticism uh that they can uh, descend upon these companies. You know, if you're a Sony fan, you're defending this decision. And if you're a person like me, which I'm about to say, this was an awful thing for Sony to do. You're looked at as an Xbox uh, fanboy. But I think looking at it from a... Uh, an objective point of view, this was not the right way to do things. Now, on one hand, I think it's understandable why PlayStation would want to prevent stacking. You know, at this point, if you stacked enough uh, PS Nows, you were, able, you, you were able to get PlayStation Plus Premium for like three years at a much you know cheaper cost than if you were to renew every single year. And I think it's understandable why PlayStation would want to prevent stacking because, you know, you lose money. <laughs> like, I mean, of course, you, you, you're going to want to not let people do something like that. The problem, though, is twofold. The problem is, number one, Sony should have absolutely known that something like this would have happened. They should have been able to very successfully and easily predict that people were going to do this, especially in the face of Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, um, um, the uh, the premium Game Pass, uh, excuse me, Game Pass Ultimate, because that's exactly what happened with Xbox. They had the $1 Xbox deal. People very quickly realized like, hey, if I buy a few years of gold at $59.99, I could pay $1 once and it will extend Game Pass Ultimate for those a uh, few years. So instead of paying $15 a month, I would pay 60 a year. Um, and I would be able to extend my game pass ultimate for years. Uh, I don't know if that's something that game pass or excuse me, that Xbox was able to internally predict. I, I just don't see how they wouldn't realize that that would be possible. That's why, you know, a lot of people looked at this as like, this was a loophole, but I don't look at these things as loopholes because 
it's something that should be so easily apparent by these companies that they should understand that this is going to happen. Maybe PlayStation underestimated how many people were going to do that. Uh, and then maybe they looked at the numbers and realized, holy crap, we have to turn this faucet off. Um, but the difference is that when, when that happened at Xbox, they just ate the loss. They realized like, oh shit, like, well, if we, if we stop people from doing this, we're probably going to start looking bad. And that's exactly what PlayStation, um, did. So I think it's like a, a, a problem on, on two points. Number one is that if you were going to do this, I think it would have been 100% understandable if you would have made this announcement from the very beginning. So you announce these new PlayStation Plus things, and then you say, starting today, um, you know, when you redeem PlayStation Now, PlayStation Plus, this is what's going to happen. And then you put this uh, blurb that I just read about, you know, example, one month PS Plus voucher will give you access to three weeks of PS Plus Extra or 2.5 weeks of PS Plus Premium. At that point, you'll kind of be able to, A, be able to cover people that um, are currently holding cards that they have not yet redeemed or make up for people that will, you know, maybe accidentally buy cards at a store. Maybe there are some sort, certain stores that still had really old cards or something like that, right? Um or at the very least say, you know, that first redemption will extend exactly the same amount, one month, three month, 12 month, but any card after that will be prorated or some, like th there are so many ways for them to have approached this that they should have anticipated something like this happening. And I guarantee you that if they did that, yeah, you're gonna have your Xbox stands that are gonna go, uh, on 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 you know PlayStation tweets and say oh you know when Xbox did this they let people stack for as long as they as they wanted to why why isn't PlayStation going letting you do the same of course you're gonna have those fanboys and stands doing that because these morons will uh, take any small little morsel of information that they can to you know prove that their plastic box is better than your plastic box right it's ridiculous it's dumb it's stupid but. I think overall, all of us would have understood something like that happen. You know, the reason why something like that would happen. You know, no company wants to, or, or I guess should uh, aspire to create some sort of new service and then all of a sudden be able to um, give away years of that service at at a substantially reduced price. Um, you know, one month of of of. Uh, PlayStation Now is $9.99. So if you bought PS Plus for a year of $59.99, that means that for $70, bucks you will be able to get an entire year of that $120 a year service. So you are saving some money. But once you stack up, you know, four or five years in a row or something like that, that that can start to add up for uh, for PlayStation. And then, of course, the second thing that they did wrong was trying to be sneaky about it, you know? It's not like something where they said, hey, this is an announcement, this is a change that we're making, um, because by being A, sneaky about it, and B, by by making this policy change after the fact, now you're just screwing people over that um, went out and already started buying a bunch of, of the car these cards. Now those cards are worth less, even if it's just a week you know, you get three weeks instead of four is still less than what you originally intended when you, 
um, went ahead and, and, uh, and bought it. And, um, yeah, this is kind of just one of those, another one of those just really, really weird decisions from PlayStation. I've kind of brought this up in the past that PlayStation's communication skills as a company are just absolutely awful. <laughs> like, you know, these are things that you and your team, when you're brainstorming, you and your marketing team are brainstorming how you're going to roll out these, you know, the announcement of this new service that, that has to be something that's discussed internally at that point in time, um, bringing up the fact that, hey, should we be concerned about people stacking subscriptions for you know, the moment that it converts, now they're able to get the PlayStation Plus premium at a much cheaper price um, than if they were to resubscribe when their current subscription ends. That's something that you should have absolutely anticipated at this point would have happened, especially after this exact thing happened uh, to Xbox when they introduced Game Pass Ultimate and that $1 deal. The same exact thing happened to them, and they lost way more money than uh, PlayStation did because that conversion didn't require the purchase of two separate services at, at, at any cost. It was just the Xbox Live Gold, which was $59.99. And then once you stack up like four years, you pay $1 once, or I think it was like three years or whatever. Uh, and then you would have Game Pass Ultimate until 2023, 24, whatever, um, you know, how long it was. You know, PlayStation has shown time and time again um, this instance of just absolutely poor communication, which is like weird because on one hand, you kind of see, the, you know, the something like state of play, which is which is great um, for a company in terms of communication. You know, Microsoft announced that June, whatever, 12th, I think it is, 13th, I don't remember the exact date, uh, they officially announced their Xbox Bethesda showcase. And it's like, that's great, but wouldn't it be greater if Xbox had, you know, four shows a year so that, you know, everything was stacked up into one moment. Now the anticipation of what's going to be shown there is now overflowing because you're not spreading out your information enough, especially going forward with having so many studios, something like that would be beneficial. So on one hand, you kind of have those state of plays. And on the other hand, you have moments like these where it's like, okay, this is kind of weird um, that you guys are doing it in this way. Now, the other bad news that happened with PlayStation last week was game developer reported Sony will require all developers of games at a wholesale cost of over $34 to also release free demos for PlayStation Plus premium subscribers to try. Now, I want to make note, very, very important, the wholesale cost. So that's... That's not a game that is $34 at retail, something that you would find, you know, at your local GameStop or or on the PlayStation Network. It has to be $34 wholesale, which would only really apply to games that start at $59.99, $69.99. I don't think it would be anything less than that. Like a game that's $49.99, I don't think the wholesale cost would be $34. I could be wrong, though. Uh, the game trials would have to be two hours long released within the first three months of the game coming out and be available for at least a year. Developers can still propose alternative demo formats on a case-by-case -case basis, and a new rule would not apply to VR games, which I actually found kind of weird. I think VR would probably benefit the most from a trial period. Mind you, you know, um, two hours might be too long, uh, but at the very least, 
a timer that allows people to play at least one level just to make sure they don't get sick. I feel like for VR, this would actually be a really, really good thing. Um, so, and then without any additional context, we were sort of led to believe that the trial would require additional work from developers, which that was kind of my immediate reaction, which was like, well, this kind of doesn't make any sense. I understand that Sony was wanting to do two hour trials, but I mean, why wouldn't it just hap exist at a system level, which is, which means that you would allow someone to download the game in full, but there's an internal, you know, component, this internal clock, um, that means that you can only actually play it for two hours and then it will be inaccessible unless you pay some money to unlock it. Um, but that's because we didn't get too much context from this news story. It was, it was only reported to us because this was something that was internally shared to developers. This wasn't like a formal announcement by PlayStation. And because of what this is, there really is no need for it to be a formal announcement. This was just something that was done by Sony to prepare developers for when PlayStation Plus Premium actually rolls out, which is happening in June. So it makes sense why this would not be something public. So we didn't have all that context, but some insiders did indeed indicate that it will be uh, a time that's operating at the system level. So that's, that's the good part of this news. It's, it's, it's always great to, you know, because I was very unhappy about this, you know, anything where a platform holders now um, requiring a developer to create additional work um, without having any choice. I'm not really a huge fan of it. I think the only way I'll support something like that is for something I've talked about a lot, which is that there should be way more uh, platform standards for accessibility. Um, something like that, I think I would defend um, additional work for developers because I think that that is a necessity um, in order to, um, for a, a good chunk of end users, be able to play your game. But I don't think this is a good idea in terms of having developers do extra work. So it's great to find out that it, it actually is just something operating at the system level. So there's a little bit of good in, in a lot of this. But the other part that's bad is that insiders are also reporting that developers are confirming that revenue share is not an option. This is an aspect of this, that this is indefensible in my opinion. You know, So you're basically telling me developers are now forced to allow every single game that they that they put onto your console, they have to let people play it for two hours while gaining absolutely no revenue from a feature that PlayStation will absolutely use to push PlayStation Plus subscribers to get into that highest tier. Premium, for those that forgot, is $18 a month or 110, excuse me, $120 a year. Uh, I'm definitely not a big fan of this um, at all. And I'm sure that there are a bunch of developers that aren't unhappy about this. I think it's understandable for PlayStation to... Um, okay, so let's actually back up a little bit. When I first talk, started talking about this PlayStation Plus, I spoke about that, uh, number one, I don't think trials at all should ever be, should ever exist behind a paywall. I think that's extremely weird <laughs> for a trial or a demo to exist 
behind a paywall. All this should be freely accessible kind of across the board. But, you know, if PlayStation wants to put this feature on their system and say, hey, two hour trials, I guess they understood that from a first party perspective, they can't provide much value, right? Sony only, you know, releases a few games per year. If you're the only one that's doing this and it's kind of weird for you to put that as a uh, as a bullet point, but for you to force developers, and that's the thing, you have to understand that that's a bullet point on the premium version. One of the bullet points is timed game trials, all right? So the majority of the, the, the heavy lifting when it comes to fulfilling that promise is now going to be done by third-party developers, and they do not have a choice. It's the only choice that they seemingly have unless something changes is either I allow you guys to let consumers download my game and play it for two hours, or I just don't release my game on PlayStation. And it sucks because it, it sort of feels like it's not really a choice. Like if you're a developer that was already set and in development of a game that's coming on PlayStation, this, I don't think this is like that deal breaker for you. I don't think it's something where a developer goes, oh, hell no, there's no way now I'm going to release this on PlayStation. It just kind of sucks that you don't have a choice. I would understand if PlayStation said, um, this is something that we encourage you to do. This is something that, you know, as a developer, if you choose to do a two-hour trial, you get, um, you know, we're going to set aside a pool of money uh, f from this subscription, from this particular tier. And if your demo is the most played that month, then you get this percentage and it kind of like cascades down or something like that. Or, hey, if you activate a two-hour trial for your game, um, this is how much you're going to save on your your fee because, you know, these companies have to pay PlayStation a fee in order to put their games onto PlayStation. Hey, you're going to be able to save this much money in order to get your game on there. Or, hey, this is the advertising break that you get. Or, you know, if you put a two-hour trial, we're going to put you front and center in the store for this many days, blah, blah, blah. You know, if there was a, you know, quid pro quo here, you know, something for something, um, but there's not. You know, it's almost like PlayStation is all they're telling um, these developers is like, hey, you're going to want to do this. These two hour trials are going to increase your conversion. But there really is uh, no concrete evidence that something like that is realistic. And we have to think about uh, there are a lot of games that, you know, those first two hours probably aren't going to be very indicative of what the rest of the game is going to be. And you might have a lot of people that. Um, you know, I feel like it's, it, it is kind of a toss up. I feel like for some, uh, people or some games, it, it might be a way to convince them to, to, to buy a game, but there is no guarantee for something like that. It could just, just as easily be something as a two hour trial that someone plays enough of the game, but they're like, ah, oh, I've had my felt, I get it. And, or, you know, they're able to speed run through it. And I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's just a lot of things about this that, I'm not a big fan of of developers being forced to allow these uh, two-hour trials. Now, of course, the end user is the winner. For a consumer, if you're already planning on buying that, you know, $120 a year service, this is huge. You know, and this is a huge 
sort of selling point for PlayStation where technically they'll have more day one games than <laughs> Xbox Game Pass. Uh, mind you, it comes with an asterisk, right? We have day one. You can, you can, you know, you can play Forspoken day one asterisk uh, only for two hours. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the advertising. I'm just, I'm just kind of joking, kind of half joking about it. Um, but if you're a consumer, then this is kind of a, a sort of a huge win for you, where it's like, oh, you know, I wasn't even planning on getting Forspoken, but now I can play it. You know, even if you have zero intent to purchase it, even if you like the game, um, you know, you can, you can choose to, 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 to play it. It'll, it'll still be something, uh, for you to interact with during moments where maybe there's not a game that is releasing that you're particularly, uh, interested or invested in. I, I sort of feel that a lot of developers, you know, if this can, if this stays the way it is and if they're forced to do it, I think that majority of them will not release it. Um, this demo or this trial at launch, you know, especially since they have three months. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sold on this. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't like this aspect of not only that developers are forced, but that developers don't have at least a guarantee of revenue, you know, because, they and them alone are going to be the ones that are um, doing the heavy lifting for that premium tier. Because I had brought this up in the past or, or when I talked about PlayStation Plus a few episodes ago, which was when you think about that tier, it's the biggest addition are going to, is really those retro games. And I feel like that's a, a, a minor or a small pool of consumers. But I think now... Anyone that was thinking about, oh, should I get PlayStation Plus Extra? Should I get the premium one? Now I think that there are a lot of consumers that are like, man, I'll pay a couple of extra bucks because then that means that, you know, think about it. You're going to have access to, you know, I'm, I'm going to say dozens, but you're going to have access to a, be able to play a few games almost every single week mind you it's not going to be for more than two hours but you're going to be able to freshly experience new games every every single week because as i said it's a 34 dollar wholesale cost i'm pretty sure every single game that hits that playstation network that's 59.99 confidently goes into that cost as i said maybe 49.99 i'm not really really sure luckily you know most indie developers are not really uh, privy to something like this, but even in, in you know an indie game like like Sifu, for example, Sifu technically could be finished. Oh, actually, I want to say here and say technically could be finished <laughs> within two hours, but um, you know, imagine if you wait a little bit and you kind of watch a speed run and say like, okay, cool, I'm gonna finish this game and you know, within those, uh, those, uh, two hours. Now I will say, I, I doubt that you're going to be able to unlock any trophies. That would be really awful. <laughs> if, if people were able to, uh, unlock trophies, that would be, I feel like that would be really, really bad. I'd be really pissed as a developer. People are just going to start downloading the games left and right. Try to go for like the easy trophies within those two hours and then toss a game, uh, aside. The other thing is that this isn't retroactive. So if your game is already released on the system, you do not have an obligation um, to do something like this, but yeah, I, 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 you know, just to end this story, I, I, I don't like 
that is I, I do like that developers won't have to do any work. That's great. But I don't like that PlayStation is putting a bullet point on this premium tier, yet they are not the ones that are doing the heavy lifting for that bullet point, right? It's like, for example, they talked about all these retro games that are being added to premium, PS1, PS2, PSP. Imagine if you find out that it's it's all just retro you know, games from other publishers because publishers are now forced to put their retro games onto the service and they won't get paid, right? It's just it's just kind of weird. You know, you guys should be the ones doing the uh the heavy lifting and understandably you can't put that bullet point because you know for this year what's gonna be on there? Horizon, God of War, and maybe that's it. <laughs> you know, I can't think of anything else that Sony has uh coming out this year unless there's something that we, we don't know about. Last of Us remake, blah blah whatever. Um, obviously you're talking about only like three or four games being added to those trials every year. At some point fans are going to be like, why the hell am I even paying this extra money? And it's something that I talked about, which is why I, I felt like that retro thing should have just been like a legacy pass add on that's separate. And it should not have been this own, uh, its own tier and something like these two hour trials should have just been something that PlayStation said, it's going to be part of our, just something that's available on PlayStation any developer that chooses to can choose to turn on that two hour trial and it's going to be available to all PlayStation users because it could be something that, that then you can use as a, as a sales tool. If, if I'm a developer, maybe it's for something like guardians of the galaxy, square Enix, something that did not do great at launch. Maybe I'm going to activate that two hour trial at the same time that, uh, I dropped the price point to $39.99. So I'm letting people play the game for two hours. And then, hey, if you enjoyed it, which I'm I'm hoping that people are going to enjoy it within those first two hours, then I'm going to, uh, you know, then you can unlock the rest of the game at a special price of, you know, $39.99. You know, because there are so many games out there, the two hours is just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's enough. And uh, I think it might have a, a negative impact uh, before it has a positive and understandably some people have brought up oh you know so many games launch broken nowadays that that's a good thing that we're able to um, try the game within um, you know the first two hours which I think you know it's understandable I, I, I think I understand um, that uh, that point of view but it's also why I tell everyone stop pre-ordering games <laughs> you know just you know even if you buy something physical you can buy physical have it shipped to you and just kind of wait, read other people's feelings about it, uh, read reviews and, um, you know, see how stable the game uh, is at release. This week's hot release is tomorrow, May 3rd, Oaken, Linux, Mac, PC, Halo Infinite Season 2 called Lone Wolves launches tomorrow. May 5th, we have Trek to Yomi, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One and Xbox Series X. It's also coming to Game Pass. Also, Citizen Sleeper, Mac, PC, Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. Time to wrap it up. Stories we didn't have time to get to. Last week, QA contractors at BioWare working on Dragon Age 4 revealed their intention to unionize due to bad pay and concerns over a full-time return to the office. Um, this isn't the first and it definitely will not be the last, especially if those Raven 
uh, QA testers are able to actually successfully vote in their own union. This is something that's happening all across our country at this moment. Uh, this uprising of unionization, you know, Starbucks, we've seen a few. Amazon had their first warehouse vote to unionize, I believe it was on Staten Island, if I'm not um mistaken what's also interesting about this is that these are, these are contractors and they contracted by a company called keywords studios so it's interesting because even if they were to unionize and that means that bioware could just choose to not renew those contracts when they run out uh just in case of those qa contractors were to try and negotiate a, a higher deal uh i'm not 100 sure about that i don't know exactly how something like that um would inevitably work, but I believe they're looking to this month to initiate that uh, vote, and we'll we'll sort of see if that uh, goes through. I'm I'm on the side of hoping that it does. <laughs> you know, uh, workers' rights are very important, uh, especially at this moment with the price of everything going up except wages. During an interview at last month's South by Southwest Festival, former Nintendo President Reggie Fils-Aimé briefly gave us thoughts on blockchain tech and gaming quote i'm also a believer in the concept of play to win within video games and i say this as a player where i may have invested 50 hours in a game 100 hours in a game there's some games i've invested 300 hours in a game and when i'm ready to move on to something else wouldn't it be great to monetize what i've built and then he went on to give the example of an animal crossing island so i'm going to look at this from uh the two sides of the same coin on one side, this is something that I've, I've talked about before in the show in terms of this is where I see um, blockchain and crypto tech moving into the future, into gaming. If it is applied, I think it is applied in a way where it's not pay to play to earn or play to earn. I think it's play the game the way that you've always played and you enjoy playing it. But you can the things that you earn, you can go on and uh, sell them. The other side of the coin that I look at some people is they look at it as like, not everything has to be monetized, right? Uh, not 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 everything that you do in a game when you put 100 hours into an Animal Crossing island needs to be monetized. And I think what people need to also look at is like at the end of the day, it's a choice, right? I, can, I was literally just talking about Halo Infinite. All this content is there completely uh, for free. You're not, there's no incentive to, 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 to sell. And I think the same would be a positive way to go with... Um, blockchain where if you're really good at designing islands and animal crossing I, I doubt nintendo would ever do this um you know right now there are people that that straight up sell islands or uh i think on different online services on ebay and i think on like fiverr they'll basically sell themselves as an animal crossing designer and they'll say hey for 30 bucks an hour i'll come design your island whichever way that you would like it to be designed there are people that will do that right i think it's ridiculous that anyone would you know use uber eats to have something delivered when especially here in new york city where the restaurant that i want to deliver from is you know five blocks away i'll just go walk and get it but it's people who are paying money to save time same thing's going to happen with gaming uh in the future but i also look at the draconian way to look at it which is like Damn, does everything has to be have to be about money? I get that. And finally, Nintendo announced a delay for the upcoming Super Mario Brothers film via a tweet that read, quote, This is Miyamoto. After consulting with Chris San, 
a partner at Illumination on the Super Mario Brothers film, we decided to move the global release to spring 2023, which is April 28th in Japan and April 7th in North America. My deepest apologies, but I promise it will be well worth the wait. Well, this shows why we haven't seen absolutely nothing about uh, this movie at all, not even a proper poster for it. So, um, I think it's, I think it's weird that this was delayed. It felt like they were ready to release it this holiday. Um, I, I'm very curious as to what the reason is for the delay. I wonder if something, um, happened, but I'm still looking forward to whatever this film inevitably, um, looks like. And uh, no matter when it comes out, this is definitely going to be the highest grossing uh, video game film of all time. I hope Sonic 2 enjoys that title while it currently has it, because there's just no way that this film is not going to do that. Uh, with Nintendo involved, I, I don't foresee anything uh, or, or this being set up uh, to flop. Uh, and then on another note, just I love when Nintendo does these types of announcements. It's so weird. It's so... <laughs> Like, unlike anything else, for it to be a tweet that starts off, this is Miyamoto. I, I love that. That was, that was awesome. Uh, no particular shout-outs this week. Shout-out to you if you're listening. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you all next week. <laughs>